Good morning. Please prepare yourself for the prayer of illumination. Holy God, as we enter the text of St. James, we confess that we too often avoid good works because we are afraid of what people will say or that we won't be appreciated or because we don't know how to start. Our faith is often too small to answer your call. We pray knowing that you answer because you are the example of faithfulness. Throughout the New Testament, you have given us examples of both faith and works that we might follow in their footsteps. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who leads us to good works and gives us the faith necessary to carry them out. Father, open our ears to hear your call to good works. Make us your light in the world and let us hear and obey. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is Psalm 146, and if you want to follow along, it's uh, found on pages uh, 581 to 582 in your Bible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, and the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kat. And as we have come together and taken our holy pause, gathered in Christ's name, let's turn now to our preaching text. And here from, again, the book of James, which we're studying right now, a book of wisdom, a book of teaching about the life of the church in practice. Let's hear from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then verses 14 through 17. You can find those on page 229 and 230 in your pew Bible. A warning against partiality. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, 
while the one who is poor, to them you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you fully, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point is to become accountable for it all. Pray with me. Lord, may we hear this text this morning that drives us away from division and into full community with one another. Lord, may we not show partiality. May we not be driven simply by being faithful, but may we also be people who put faith into action, who see the need in all people, the way that you are calling us to serve in all places. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever, O Lord. Amen. Now, during the Protestant Reformation, one of the major critiques raised by reformers was focused on what we would call works-based righteousness. It is what it sounds like. The church imposed a number of practices on the people that amounted to the works of faith being what gave them access to God's grace and mercy. For instance, the Catholic Church, in the generations leading up to the Reformation, priests began taking up the practice of requiring indulgences to be bought by parishioners. You could pay a fee to have a sin absolved, pay for prayers for the deceased, someone that you loved that had gone to their grave. Fees were charged to ensure that you had right standing in community. For the reformers, this practice was abhorrent in that it divorced people's contrition, sacrifice, and faithful growing from lived actions of faith and a deeply held belief in God's love for them. It was a disconnected system, a system that functioned to reinforce the church's role in mediating grace, disconnecting people from what it really meant to know God personally and devotionally. And these systems worked. For one, because of what James is outlining in the first part of our morning scripture. The system of works-based righteousness privileges the rich, those who have access. They could pay for nicer seats in the cathedral, their power and their rank affording them access to clergy and absolution for wrongdoing, and it could be bought at a price, which the rich would be willing to pay, and the church accepted it because it solidified their position in society. But what James is reminding us of is that while riches and privilege may look good on the outside, 
and afford us access to things that we want. When we divorce them from a deeply held faith that drives us to actions of service and sacrifice, when those are divorced, we can be very dead on the inside. We can look good, but be no better off spiritually than the one who looks like a mess. In fact, throughout the scriptures, we hear that it is the heart of the person that matters to God, not the outer appearance. A well-dressed faith, we might say, can be dead. Dead faith is faith without action. Belief isn't the only healthy part of a flourishing faith. Let's hear the next part of our scripture reading. Verses 14 through 17. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? Or if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet does not supply their bodily needs? What good is that? So faith itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now in between faith and works lies a point of tension. A point of integration, as uh, to use a word from last week, between what we believe or know and what we do. It's a space between right belief and right action. The tension has to exist. It has to pull us in both directions to remind us of the positive bind that exists in the Christian journey. One has to have one, excuse me, one has to have the other. Faith and works together, they bring life. Faith without works is dead, and works without faith are shallow. Actions that lack significance, a living just by going through the motions. The integration point I would call grace. Faith that works out in, faith that, faith that lives out in works discovers the grace of Christ at this tension point. Faith that lives out in action awakens us in our need and reception of grace. Back to the Reformers for a moment. Martin Luther took issue with the book of James, as I've mentioned before, and one of the big sticking points for him was around this verse and the role of grace. It is easy for us to look at verses 14 through 17 and hear a teaching that we must be very active in our faith to show that it is valid and living in its way. We work it out with fear and trembling as we hear the Apostle Paul speak of in Philippians 2. And so we get out there. We start serving. We start working in the faith, getting our hands dirty. We volunteer. We give money. We write letters to prisoners. We go on service trips. We get about the work. The problem, though, is that through all our work, the faith and works duality begins to shift in a different direction. This is especially true today in what we would call progressive or social justice-oriented churches. It is easy for communities like ours to lean heavily on works 
in that side of the equation, becoming involved in so many works for the good of our neighborhoods and the world. And this is certainly not a bad thing. But what can become a struggle is that when we begin to do these acts of righteousness as duties or tasks, if we do our monthly volunteer work for the poor, then we receive God's grace. If we give some of our money away, then God will bless us. You see, we're not too far from being in the same situation that the reformers were pushing against. Perhaps the role of the church is a bit more decentralized in this point in history, not necessarily the mediator of grace in the same way, but on the whole, it is easy for us to see the connection between pious activity divorced from faithful devotion and activism and service divorced from meaning that comes from the heart of faith. Thankfully, I believe this is one of the most beautiful places that the community of the church can stand in and help us reintegrate faith and works. The church can be the site of this tension point between those two parts. The church can be a space where we experience the grace of God so that faith and works are linked. And there's also good news. This is what is already happening in the church, at least as I witness it. Thanks be to God. Here among the gathered people of Christ's body, this is the site where many of us come to integrate our faith and our works. One more time through this so that I make sure it's clear. In the community of Jesus, we can find ourselves isolated first in the realm of faith. I believe and I doubt and I come to hold truths about God and myself and others and my faith grows. I believe, I hold God's love in my heart. I contemplate upon God's goodness every day. I have the reassurance that I am saved by God's grace, apart from anything I say or do, but simply because God is merciful and offers grace freely to all who ask of it. You see, that can be the faith side of the equation. And we can find ourselves isolated in the realm of works, too. In the church, we can give you 15 different projects to be a part of, five committees to join, where you can get about the work, acting as Christ's hands and feet. Belief actually doesn't have to matter much. Faith in the deeper principles behind the why of what we do, it doesn't have to matter. We can simply just get about the work. But helping and serving can also lead to harm. It can form us to simply look for the hurting people and solve their problems and then move on. There can be all kinds of action, but it can lack the heart of compassion and the love that comes from a life formed around faith in Christ. We can help solve the problems of the world and yet lose our souls. Once again, what we are seeking here is integration. Faith and works together to find life. Otherwise, you simply look good. We look pious, but we're silently wasting away. 
We burn out because we have not nurtured the inner space for, for faith. That sustains the work. Works without faith are also dead. Let's talk about what this means, to witness the good news of a living faith that works itself out in the world. Gratefully, we can praise God that we don't have to look far to find examples of that faith sincerely lived out. I want to draw a, a couple of examples for us uh, and, and point out a couple of people and also some ways of being that I see in our community. A few examples. First, I want to highlight um, our, fr our friend Nebu over here in the purple sweater, one of our church elders. Uh, out of sincere faith, Nebu stepped up in leadership last year to serve and be a part of our session of the congregation. One example of how this stepping up that I've seen lived out is over just the last couple of months. Nebu's been showing up early and helping get things straightened around the church in the narthex and welcoming people. He maybe gave you a bulletin today. This comes from a place in Nebu that has been cultivated, a faith that's deep. I don't want to expose Nebu's story too much to you personally, but I will tell you that I know from deep conversations with him that he holds a love of Christ and a love of this community that draw him outwards into the work of faith. His faith is put into action, works and faith together. Let's talk about another person, our beloved Faye Hill. You both are over here. This is kind of nice. I can just kind of... I'm sure you've spoken to Faye, but if you haven't, you can immediately sense with her a deep sense of faith, built up and cultivated over years. Pre-COVID, Faye was leading our Sunday morning Bible study uh, for years and years. Faye's faith and devotion formed her in a way that calls her to lead. And for years, she's taken that and made it into action, studying the scriptures and exploring their application in our lives. Faith and devotion live out in teaching and praying and serving and caring. To witness faith and work together, we also have to recognize the ones who do this silently. Our deacons and our elders and the people of our prayer team. The living faith of these folks is put into action in ways they, the ways they pray for our congregation and the world, the ways that they quietly and faithfully steward the resources that God has blessed us with, the seemingly mundane decisions about which contractors to hire or which things need to be written in our bylaws or our personnel manual. These are actions inspired by faith in Christ that binds us together in community. Friends, I want us to be encouraged this morning. Our faith can be lived out in action in many simple ways. And by living our faith out, we grow more deeply in it. I want to offer a few ideas for how we can live out our faith in daily life. Simple opportunities to seek after that integration. First, a great place to start is prayer. In prayer, we focus on connecting with God and speaking to God as a beloved friend and partner. In prayer, 
We don't simply roll around our own thoughts and help firm up our own beliefs by meditating upon them with God so that they become more clear, though that is a part of prayer. But prayer lives, prayer that is living, prayers like this take us from what we believe, what our faith says, and then they push us to action. We pray for God to intervene. We pray for healing on behalf of the hurting. The action of prayer takes shape within us as we take our faith that God is good and speak to God of our desire that God's goodness intervene where others have need. Prayer is faith in action. Next, faith that is alive, it impacts how we act and how we speak and how we treat our neighbor. As we recall from the first part of the reading, faithful Christian communities do not show partiality for privilege and power, but rather faith leads us to see each other as our sibling in Christ, our beloved neighbor. And when we speak to one another, our faith is put into action by the words we say, the encouragement we offer, the grace we extend. A heart formed by faith in Christ lives itself out in offering kindness, lifting up the hurting, connecting to one another in love, offering correction when we see a fault, speaking truth for liberation of the oppressed, and even holding back our speech in compassion and patience. We'll talk more about faith-inspired speech next week. How we speak to one another is a way our faith is lived out in action. Finally, a way our faith is put into action is what I want to call yielding. When we yield our position and privilege, the things that by the standards of the world we might call our rights, when we let go of them or we yield them for the benefit of the other, this is faith put into action. It's faith put into action because it is exactly what Jesus does in his life. He takes all privilege and power and lets it go in order that others would experience grace. Letting go, the action of yielding, and this, this takes us straight into the center of that tension point between faith and works. It takes us right to grace. So what does yielding look like? Well, I see it around our community in the way longtime members welcome our new folks. The act of hospitality is an act of yielding. The welcoming of the stranger is to let go of our privileged place in the order of things and offering the grace of our presence to the outsider. Yielding also looks like giving up our wants, our possessions, our knowledge, in order to share it with others. To yield is to say, not my will, but yours be done, to God and to our neighbor. Let me close by turning our attention to the table. At this table, faith and works come together to meet at that point of grace. 
When you come to this table, you do not need to come out of any sense of duty. Nothing that you do at this table will make you any more loved or privileged in the kingdom of God. When you come to this table, you are also not checking a box for your God card every month. This meal isn't about an action that you do out of rote practice by getting up and taking and eating. No, we come rather out of a deeply held faith which compels our feet to move and experience the delight of the goodness of God that we find there. We delight in this meal, not because we've done our devotional act, but because this table is filled with the presence of our beloved Christ. So come, my friends. Experience faith in action. Come and experience grace. Let go of looking good. Let go of going through the motions. Let go of having it all figured out. Come to the table to receive the grace of Christ that integrates our faith with our actions. Come simply to taste and see and know that the Lord is good. Come. Let us pray. Lord, our prayer today is that our deeply held faith would move us to action. And Lord, that our actions of service and care and compassion would serve to Form our faith more deeply in you. That when we touch the hands of the hurting or speak a kind word to the broken, that we are encountering you. We are living as you in love and mercy and therefore experiencing it ourselves, being formed more deeply as your people. So Lord, may we come to this table to experience not a duty, not a practice, not an intellectual belief lived out, but Lord, may we come to this table to delight in the integration of all our work and our faith put together, that grace would be experienced. Lord, at this table, meet us. Fill us with your grace so that we may be sent back out into the world to continue our good work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.